banks weren't exactly giving out loans to kids that want to put out punk rock records. And I realized I'm not going anywhere. Usually it's a couple of irons in the fire. There's been times in the past where it's been a few too many and we've definitely paid the price for that. FBM, the bike company, was just like an office space with like a tiny warehouse and it caught on fire and burned down. I worked at companies where I was making more than enough and was living comfortably, but I wasn't happy because I didn't feel like the work was fulfilling. Hopefully this will squash any Chris Renz a millionaire rumors. If I'd have known anything about business, I would have never started a bike company to begin with. I mean, there's a million other things that I could be putting my time and energy into to make a much better living. I'm trying to make an honest living out of doing something you love. It's like a terrible idea. We would rather fail than suck. That's truer every day. We will never suck. Kodak Projects presents Don't Stand In Line, a six-part docuseries about four unlikely entrepreneurs. Featuring Chris Wren of Bridge Nine Records, Sonny Singh of Hate56.com, Greg Walsh of Wolf Brigade Gym, and Steve Crandall of FBM Bike Company and Dropping Coffee. Available now for purchase or rent at CodecProjects.com. I'm happy to say that this episode is being brought to you by Triumph Printing Company. Triumph is a Massachusetts-based screen printing company with 16 years of experience. Everything's hand printed. They offer design as well as branding. I'm actually using them for a few upcoming projects and I'm super excited to be working with Matt over at Triumph Printing Company. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Triumph Printing Co. or email Matt direct at triumphprintingco at gmail.com. Just keep going, like just keep playing play your heart out, play every show you can get, work hard, write, you know, write the best songs you can write, and then just do it again, you know, just don't stop. And that's sort of where we're going now. We just keep pushing forward on what we're, what we're capable. And someone comes in and says, can you do this? And we're like, yeah, of course we can do that. And then they leave and we're like, how are we going to do that? Welcome to Kodak Projects Podcast, episode 23. This week, we're talking with Pete Chilton of Nova Motorcycles and Bain. We talk about growing up in central Massachusetts, how he came to play in Bain and a handful of other hardcore bands, uh, becoming a graphic designer, getting into motorcycles, and opening his own motorcycle shop. I think you're going to enjoy this one. My name is Pete Chilton. Um, I'm formerly the bass player of the band Bain. And uh, now I run a bunch of different businesses, uh, the most prominent being uh, Nova Motorcycles, which is a vintage and specialty motorcycle shop where we do repairs and custom builds on basically everything, everything motorcycle related. And uh, um, yeah, so that's what, that's what I've been up to lately. Okay, cool. And, and you said you, you, run a bunch of different businesses what what are the other businesses right well they're, they're mostly sort of based off of the motorcycle business um so the motorcycle business being one um i from college i i have an art degree and after college i went directly into advertising and graphic design um, and i did a lot of the graphic design for bain um, um, once we sort of got going, um, and then that sort of continued my career in, in design. 
uh, and sort of, so I have my own freelance design business um, where I do websites and brochures and all, all the stuff associated with sort of the graphic design stuff. Um, and then I also, um, you know, help run, I have a, I have a co-owner with me that runs the motorcycle shop and I'm sort of like the design and marketing person and he's the expert mechanic. Uh, and then sort of spawned from that motorcycle business, uh, we own together a, a, a real estate business because we, we basically bought the building um, that our shop is in and um, it had a bunch of other buildings that came with it. Uh, so we sort of didn't know it when we were buying it, but we became landlords. Um, gotcha. And then it sort of ballooned a little bit from that just because right. we were getting a lot of advice from different people on what to do. And some we took and some we didn't. So, right, right. Well, that's great though. Cause you know, I think, you, you know, this, these days, I think it's very wise to have multiple income streams and different, you know, different sources to pull from because sometimes things slow down in one area and they're they're great in the other area and then it switches. And then sometimes if you're really lucky, it's busy on all fronts, but you're, you're stressed out of your mind. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that like, you know, I have definitely different sort of businesses off my main business as well. But um, why don't we back up a little bit and, and figure out how you got to where you're at? So you grew up in Western Mass? No, actually, I grew up in just outside of Worcester in Auburn, Mass. Okay, so more like mid. Central, yeah, yeah. Central Mass. I call um, that Western Mass, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah, probably right. That's true. It, it's because it's kind of a joke out here now that I'm like really Western Mass. Um, people, when I go to Boston, they're like, oh, you're from Western Mass, like Worcester? And I'm like, well, like, an hour and a half further west. Right. And then there's still another hour of Massachusetts after me. So yeah, Massachusetts is like, I mean, if you look it out on the map, it, it doesn't look that big. But right. if you've ever driven all the way west to, I mean, New York, right? It's like, right. it's, it takes a lot longer than you think it's going to. Yeah. I mean, people ask me like, oh, are you going to the Cape or whatever? I'm like, dude, the Cape, like P-Town is like four and a half hours from me. So right. like, that's that's a long drive. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, anyway, um, yeah, so I grew up in Auburn, Worcester, um, sort of started playing bass guitar in high school with a bunch of buddies that, you know, basically there was a guitar and a drummer and they're like, Hey, you should play bass. And I was like, okay. So I just <laughs> picked it up and started learning. And then from there sort of started going to shows at the, the Worcester artist group, the WAG and the espresso bar and, you know, the, the sort of early nineties haunts that, uh, sort of grew the, the hardcore scene that, you know, Bain and tenure fight were in, uh, at least in, in central mass. Um, right. And, um, you know, met, met Aaron from converge Aaron Dahlbeck and, um, Zach, uh, Jordan from, you know, he was in a band called realm and, you know, my, you know, they were all from Worcester, the big city, and I was from the suburbs. So, like, my friends and I were like, oh, the Realm Band is so cool. So, <laughs> we just ended up sort of crossing paths a lot and got to know each other. And, um, you know, 
when I got to, I think college, my freshman year of college, I joined Bain. Like um, Aaron said, he was starting a new band and I just happened to run into him at Newbury Comics and we started talking about it. And he was like, yeah, we're looking for a bass player. And I was like, oh, you know. And they were like, at that point, was Zach in the band or was like, because I know Ben was like, I know Ben Chusid was, uh, he wasn't playing drums, but he was like kind of playing guitar or something at the beginning. And then they had, um, what, uh, what's his name from Converge playing drums? Yeah, Damon. Damon. Um, yeah. So I think Aaron started with a bunch of other people and then just like they wrote a couple songs and then like practices. Like, right. I don't think know, they played other, out like that, right? or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and Ben was playing guitar, I think, and I forget, I also forget the exact details of it, but when I came in, it was like Aaron Dahlbeck, he had recruited Aaron Bedard to sing, and they asked me to come play bass, and then we were playing, we were practicing at Damon's house. Uh, okay. Up but in you North came Andover. in, you came in before they really, they started playing out at all. Yeah, yeah. I played the first show. There um, you go. <laughs> but the demo, I did. I was not on the demo. Like they recorded the demo. I think Dalbeck played the bass on the demo. Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny because I, I, I remember, and I could have this wrong, but I, I feel like when we were in the studio at Saladay's recording our demo, that was the first day that you guys actually practiced with Bedard. Does that sound anywhere in, like that would have been like sometime in '95, like yeah. fall? Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. I wouldn't have been there though. Oh, okay. Um, so that might have been when Ben was playing. Well, no, because Ben was in the studio with us. Oh, he was okay. talking to Dahlbeck. Yeah. About because I, I mean I don't know, I don't know if he was still technically supposed to be in Bain at that point or not, and that's why he was talking. Or I don't know what's, right. what was going on. But right. I, I vividly have this memory of like us recording our demo on at the on like the same exact time that that uh bane was like getting together with bedard like for the first time right and to, like i don't know why that sticks out in my head is like a you know i don't know some kind of moment some, in hardcore history but like yeah some marker yeah <laughs> marker in the history <laughs> um yeah so when i finally joined they had the demo came out like right at the same time where they're like yeah you're you're in um I remember just making dubs on my stereo, you know, like just cassette to cassette kind of recording. And uh, Aaron Bedard actually worked at a print shop. So he like made the, the, um, the demo insert cover. Um, I just remember like folding them and I got, you know, we did so many that I got really, you could fold it like perfectly and you just slide this cassette in. Yeah. And it would just be in my dorm. I was, I was going to, school in Worcester um college my freshman year at WPI and just making those over and over and over again um so that was sort of the first step into like do it yourself sort of um are you uh, weird like me did you actually enjoy doing that kind of thing like i i am weirdly good at repetitive manual labor yes like, like it's like cathartic almost yes yeah so after being a starter then we were doing like tours and stuff and so you you probably know we had i had like all these temp jobs in between yeah. 
So one of the temp jobs I was working at, um, it was like a rubber hose factory or something. I forget what it was, but you had to like, as the stuff came off the assembly line, you had to inspect it and then put it in a box. And that was, that was my job for eight hours a day for like five <laughs> weeks. I did that like yeah. in between tours and like the third week, like the supervisor came up to me and he's like, show, show me what you're doing. <laughs> How are you doing what we taught you to do? And I just, I was like, okay. And I just sat there and I did it. And I like filled the box and he's like, you do four times as much as anyone else here. And That's your awesome. accuracy is your accuracy is better. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, "What?" <laughs> so then, like, no one else, no one else would talk to me after that. Ugh. No one, no other the workers would talk to me. So I was like shunned because I was making <laughs> them look bad, and I had that, no idea. That's amazing. I have a similar story because, like, I would always deliver pizza when when we were, you know, like coming back from tour. Like that was the one job I could like hold down, and they'd right. be okay with me leaving. And if there weren't pizzas to 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 drive around, like there was nothing to do usually other than just kind of hold up the wall, or they always were on you to make boxes. You can never make enough boxes, so right. I would just I would like sit there and just make boxes for hours because it was just like this repetitive like I just zone out and like I would make you know I pile them to the ceiling and they'd actually have to tell me to stop making them where whenever you know everyone else was just like hide when they thought right. they had to make boxes. And uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's something about it. Just like you can just escape from where you are because if you're not doing something, a job like that is like, it, I don't know. It's Well, I just go deep into my head. And just yeah. Like think about the way things work or, you know. Yeah, think I think. Music I, or, you know, yep. all those things. Um, at least at that time of my life. Now it would be, I'd be thinking about how I could, develop this part that would fit on a motorcycle the right way and be sturdy. And, you know, um, yeah, the, the thought process is the same, but just like what I'm, what I'm, the project in my brain is different now. So, right. 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 But, right. So how did, um, let's see. So you joined Bain. I don't know, man. I think I don't want to go too deep into Bain cause I think that's been covered, but, yeah. um, well, so I, we did Bain for a while. I left in 07. Um, I was just burnt out, you know. So I joined in 98. Wow, you left in 07, 07 that long ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's weird, I think people get confused because I did play a bunch of shows for them. And I did, I did a European tour after right. I technically quit. And then I also recorded the last record. You know, I played the bass on the last record. Um, right. So and you never really leave. I don't think, yeah, right? It's, yeah. I mean, I left on good terms. Uh and it was just like a hey guys, I can't do this anymore kind of a thing. Which is for the amount of touring they did and it's totally normal. And they, obviously, you know, the documentary kind of shows that, that that's what happens. Right, know? right, right. Yeah. So anyone who hasn't seen holding these moments i got the title right right holding these yeah, moments so. yeah, yeah yeah no it's really it's a really great documentary covers a lot of this stuff should probably yeah. just pause here and go watch it and then come back yeah <laughs> um but so so yeah so why i mean you said you couldn't do it anymore and I, I think i i i understand what you mean but maybe just explain that a little bit more 
Well, I think I was, I was the guy that did all the organization stuff. Mm. So I, I was on booking shows. We, you know, our booking, Matt Pike was from Kenmore agency was booking us. Um, so he, he was doing that, but I was doing a lot of the tour managing stuff, the settling up and the books and all that stuff. And then I was also managing like almost all of the merch, making sure stuff got ordered, staying up late, counting stuff as it came in or, you know, reamping what we have left and what, you know, and then on top of that, doing the tours and I'm the guy who owned the van under my name, um, you know, those things. And then just touring so much as we did, I had gotten, I got married in 2004. We had moved from Worcester to Western Mass, uh, bought a house. You know, I had a, a wife and dogs and I guess I was just kind of burned out on that lifestyle. And then in right in my area, I got this offer to teach graphic design at a, at like a college level school, um, called Hallmark Institute of Photography. Um, and so I'd be teaching graphic design to these people that are in this like one year intensive photography training course and I'd get summers off. And then, you know, so I applied for that and I was like, had this dollar amount in my head that I would definitely quit Bain if that dollar amount was there. Right. Um, Cause you know, we were able to buy a house and everything, but the money wasn't great. You know, we were still sort of scrapping by, but, um, and then when they offered me the job, the money was like $10,000 over what, <laughs> right. what, what that number was. So I was like, Oh geez, I gotta, I gotta buckle down. I'm, I'm going to become an adult, I guess. Um, yeah. But so I, I left the band and that, but I still had summers off. So the, like the next summer I actually went on tour with them and um, that lasted for a couple of years. And I, it was awesome. It was a really cool job. Cause I basically learned how to do public speaking <laughs> on okay. the job. Cause I was really quite kind of laid back person. Um, and when you just get thrown into like here, teach 80 kids in a room, like what you know and it's like it's kind of sink or swim yeah yeah so i learned a lot in that job like a lot about photography a lot about design even though i was the design teacher just a lot about how to like push stuff out get ideas out quick iterate on those designs and and kind of push to the next level um but it was definitely a nine to five i had to wear a suit and tie uh so what happened really, was you really had to wear a suit and tie yeah for a yeah graphic was, design job yeah huh, yeah okay it's actually the only job i've ever had where i had to wear a suit and tie where i wouldn't mm. when i was working in an advertising agency it's just like you know polo shirt or whatever right uh, and then i actually worked at a radio station at uh, like an npr radio station yeah. and that was super chill and now I wear a sweatshirt and jeans to work every day. So, right. um, but yeah, it was like this, the school was sort of weird because they had like all these like ideals of how you should work. You should always present yourself in the best light. And, um, you know, which I agree with. I, I, I do understand that angle. Like yeah. for sure. Yeah. I thought it was good. I just, the way they did some of the things I didn't always agree with, but, um, 
And then like the CEO, the, I left because the CEO started getting crazy and there's all these rumors that he was like stealing from the school itself. And then those rumors ended up being true. And like wow. I had some paychecks bounce and like basically the school was like a sinking ship. <laughs> uh, so that's when I left and I, I, I found that job um, doing all the marketing and graphic design stuff for the local NPR radio station. Ah, so, okay. Okay. And so I love that. And graphic design. So you went to school for graphic design? Yeah, sort of. Oh, I got a, a bachelor of arts from UMass Amherst. So that's okay. sort of how I found out, you know, Western mass. Right. I was going to WPI studying mechanical engineering. I didn't really like that. It didn't feel like it was my thing. So then I transferred to UMass Amherst and studied art. Okay. Uh, and while I was there, although it was like very like uh, fine art kind of a study where I was doing charcoal drawings and printmaking and pen and ink kind of a stuff, um, I got a job at the computer lab you know, that has their Photoshop and all their right. design programs. So I was just sitting there monitoring the lab and then I just basically taught myself all the software. Right. Um, so. Right, right, right. That sounds, yeah, that sounds, you know, I, cause I went to Northeastern, I ended up getting a, some kind of just like a BA, like art, you know, in a bio, <laughs> similar. And, right. but they didn't really teach me much of anything that I use. I just kind of, right. that stuff you all, you kind of, if you're motivated, you kind of figure out, um, you just teach yourself really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did. I, you know, we needed Bain needed stuff. I was still in, in Bain when we were, when I was there. So I was like, Oh, well let's, I'll use Photoshop and make this t-shirt or I'll use this. And you just end up teaching yourself, um, those things and Bain needs a website. So let's figure out how to do that. And you know, right. in 1996, it's a totally different thing than it is now, but, um, yeah you're learning code and you're learning how to do all those things. So it's sort of all those things were sort of based on like me being the guy that did a lot of the back end stuff for Bain, which is like manage the website and do the merch and, right. and those things. Um, but at the same time, I took art lessons my whole life since I was little. And then when I went to UMass, I was like, Oh, I still love doing art, but, I also need to do this on the computer. So I'll right. teach myself. So, I mean, you obviously had the eye, eye for it and like could, you know, understood design and design and the elements, like the, the, you know, the core, the principles it was just more about learning the, the technical, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. How to use the software basically, you know? So, right. right. Yeah. Well, it's a different skill set now right. because, you know, some of my bosses, like when I first started, they're like, we used to, you know, have to typeset everything. And it was all like photo, you know, actually they're taking pictures of it and then it's reprinted and um, they have to take the, the letters off, you know, like rub the letters on and make sure all the kerning is right. And all that, you know, yeah. it was a much more physical practice. Right. Um, and then I basically jumped in right when computers were good enough yeah. to do it you know like and and do it pretty quickly and um so it's right. sort of 
it was well, a good time, a transitional time right, to right. sort of jump in and learn. And I kind of jumped a little bit, like what you were mentioning about what you were doing with Bain and why you decided that you couldn't do it anymore. You were doing, you were basically running the business of Bain, which, you know, if people aren't aware, like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I hardcore bands are really just small businesses. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and if you're, you're doing all that at some point, you know, it, it does get to be a little bit overwhelming if you're trying to also, um, you know, live in a, a life, you know, where you're, you're married and trying to just establish a, a family really, and, right. you, know, you know, put some roots down. It's hard to right. do that when you're hopping in the van all the time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It absolutely is a small business. We had to do taxes. We had to, you know, figure out what was deductible and what, you know, make sure we come home with more money than we borrowed to start the, to you know what I mean? T to pay off the merch and um, right. yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and you were learning design, like you were basically, I, I think starting to run your own design, whether it be freelance or under a different name or whatever, but like you were, you're doing that kind of at the same time as Bain. So like, I feel like um, you were learning to run two different types of businesses at, at yeah. the same time. Really? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wasn't doing actually, you know what the, the start of this was, was that when I, I had a job at an agency when I was in Bain. So I would come in and they were cool with me leaving. It was great setup. It was like, they were super cool about it. And then when I moved to Western Mass, I left that job. I was still doing all the Bane stuff, but then I was freelancing and doing it on my own, like without an agency. Um, and I remember I was getting paid like $40 an hour, which back then seemed like so much money uh, yeah. to do that. And I was like, well, this is like so much more lucrative than Bane. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think that might've been like the point once we moved out, out to Western Mass, out to Greenfield, then um, I was doing Bain and this freelance design and Bain, you know, we would go away for a month and I'd come home with a thousand bucks. Right. And then Hopefully I would work <laughs> a week and a half at, you know, a makeup company doing design stuff for them. And then it would be, you know, I'd bill for like 2000 bucks or something like that. So it was like, does this really make, you know, like, does this really make sense? And it's hard and I'm away from my wife. And um, so I think that was the beginning. And then when this other job came up where it's like, okay, well, I don't have to chase, you know, it's a day, it's a like regular nine to five. I don't have to chase clients and, and um, right. Because you know, yeah, even person. I mean, you know, but uh, some people listening may not understand that you know forty dollars forty dollars an hour sounds great, but remember, there's um, you know, you have to get the client, so there's right. a lot of work there, and you know, you may be spending money marketing and like just just trying to land the client, and then there's lots of time with with that's not billable that you that you put in that right. you're not. I mean, unless you're lucky, like like really lucky, you're not working every day consistently a lot of times when you're freelancing and right. then there's health insurance right and taxes you know, and taxes I mean, so that, yeah, that 40, $40 an hour you're really you're after taxes you're starting at like 32 right and uh, you factor all that other stuff in and it, it yeah. you know it's not it's still okay it's still 
like to me better than going in and working a 90 a nine to five but for a lot of people like it might not be worth worth it like it, right. it like not everyone's cut out to to freelance no you know? no it's hard it's really hard and yeah if you don't have a couple of key customers that keep you always stepping up that just yeah. keep rolling and rolling then if you're doing the hustle it can be really hard yeah um so i totally get that and that's i think because that's how i was with bain and with freelance all of a sudden this nine to five just show up and then leave and get a paycheck in the you know deposited sort of seemed like wow that's so easy you know right. what i mean um so, so when i jumped to do that i was like this is cool but then of course that fell apart too so right well it's a see it's it's i've always found because i've jumped back and forth between freelance trying to do my own business and, and then doing the nine to five thing like sometimes you just get so burnt out on chasing the next dollar that if something half decent comes along where it's like a steady paycheck you just kind of like sometimes yeah. like i've broke a few times where i'm just like i'm just gonna do this this is the, it's just easier but i think if you're wired a certain way that only makes you happy for so long if happy yeah. or if it ever you know what i mean like you get over that like feeling of um of comfort and then you're just bored right <laughs> i don't know right no, I absolutely agree. Cause that's how I was. Like, I was like, okay. And then, so when I did the teaching for a while and then I moved to the NPR, which is also like a very cush kind of nine to five, you know, never bring work home afterwards. And, and when we did, it was like, oh, I have to go and record Carl Castle at, you know, whatever, you know? So it was kind of like, cool. Um, but um, it certainly, as I was sort of, doing all of this at the same time i i found that i also needed to be like a little bit of a wildling a little bit and that's that's when i got into motorcycles okay and because i was like you know i got a nine to five i'm not touring anymore and i just felt like you know that i that was kind of like a cool thing something to get you and i had lost all my coolness so yep. I was like, I'm going to buy a motorcycle. <laughs> I was going to ask, cause I don't remember you being into motorcycles. Like, no, I didn't, I didn't get them in, until I left Maine. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was into mountain biking. Yeah. Um, I used to buy bike a lot. Um, and even as a kid, we used to, you know, we grew up on bikes and everything. And then as more of adults, I got in, way into mountain biking and my brothers and sisters are into it. And, you know, even as adults, my, um, my family, just kind of a, a big biking family. So I sort of gravitated towards a motorcycle as like a next evolution. Cause we had never, we had four wheelers when I was a kid and we had one dirt bike for like two weeks. And uh, it was like an, an RM 80, which is like a, two-stroke Suzuki, I think. Um, that was my first experience on a motorcycle. And my dad bought it for us. I think I was like eight or or nine years old. Okay. And if you know anything about dirt bikes, a, 
an RM80 is actually like a beast, even though it's like a small, it's an 80cc displacement, but it's a two stroke, which is like has way more power than a typical okay. four stroke. But we wrote it. I remember riding it just being this thing so fast. It's so fast. It's so fast. And then one day my dad took it for a ride. He had given it, you know, bought it for me and my brothers, my, my brother and I, and, and we had ridden it for two weeks. And then he's like, here, let me take that out for a spin. And he took it out for like eight minutes and he came back. He's like, you can never ride this again. <laughs> and he sold it the next day. Oh, and that man. was the end of it. So it's sort of almost like a forbidden fruit. Um, just because the thing would go like 70 miles an hour and you yeah. shouldn't He's be able probably to, right. Um, yeah. I mean, you shouldn't be able to ride something on a public. We were riding them on the road, right? The street. Yep. Well, that was the eighties, right? So yeah. yeah. <laughs> at, at nine years old yep. with a, a, you know, a shitty helmet on it. Right. Like yeah. With, with face guard or anything. You know, I had one of my friends, one there was there's always well i don't know uh, one of my my best friends growing up had all like the motor toys like i had everything yeah and we would just take out like you know it would be in a blizzard we would just take out at the snowmobile and just cruising around the neighborhood and like right all kinds of i mean you could get a i don't know how but somehow we got away with that stuff back then yeah yeah it was it was a different time <laughs> it definitely was everything we like to do is illegal now so pretty much yeah um, um so that was my first experience and then when i went back to it um i bought you know of course i care about how everything looks so i was like found uh an old an, at the time you know it was a 1983 bmw uh what they call it r100 uh, so it was kind of a vintage e-bike um and started riding that around and literally it just fell in love with it loved it i just rode by myself most of the time and that bike ran great for a lot like from the time i bought it for like a couple of years and i didn't really know how i like i never really got into the mechanical side of it so okay yeah I was suddenly gonna... it started running bad and then i was asking around and that's how i met my business my nova motorcycles business partner ah, so. that's what i was going to ask you next like because you know because there's one thing to, to, to love riding them. And it's another thing to be able to work on them. Um, so, so it seems like, how, so you have, how many partners do you have? Like, who are your partners and how does that work? Like, cause obviously you have a, you, you have a good design sense. Um, are you mostly like the, the design element or is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's my, we, I have one business partner. Uh, his name is Sayre Anthony, S-A-Y-R-E. Um, I just tell people Sayre, like the person that says something, they're the Sayre. Yeah. Um, and he grew up, his mom was a mechanic, uh, you know, like he grew up fixing stuff. Um, and then he happened to be from Greenfield, but he moved to New York City to go to NYU and then just fell into... Um, what they call like a vintage racing team. So they like race vintage bikes. Um, he just sort of weaseled his way in and started getting taught by some of the best in the world, basically how to work on old bikes. Um, and then he, you know, like most people that gets burnt out of the, uh, on New York city and moved back to Greenfield. And then that's sort of when we met up 
Um, and I was interested in doing some custom work on my motorcycle. Um, so when it started needing a tune up and things like that, I brought it to him and we just started chatting and I told him I wanted to like customize it. And he, you know, I wanted to change this and that. And he was just kind of advising me on what to think about. And um, we ended up sort of hitting it off. Uh, so I think literally like two weeks later, I like called him and I'm like, Hey, do you want to start like a motorcycle company and I'll design customs and you can work on them and fix them up and make sure they run good. And he's like, yeah, sure. So <laughs> it was really that was, simple. Like you just, it just, you just thought of it one day and yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and I'll just design, I'll be the designer and you'll be the mechanic and we'll, we'll do it. And, uh, that's great. And of course, I didn't know anything about designing motorcycles. Right. right. Well, well, that's never stopped me before. So. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, sometimes ignorance is, or, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, but like sometimes not knowing is better because you're not thinking the typical way. Right. And you don't know that you, if, you don't know what you can't do. So you just try it and, and you just, you can, sometimes you do it. Right. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, that was actually what i was wondering like because honest like i don't really know anything about motorcycles or, or cars or like custom like how like any, how any of that shit works I, I like them but like i don't know anything about working on them or customizing them like it, so when you do custom builds are you are you actually like machining parts in yeah. some instances yeah yeah some instance we do that um yeah, uh, that's sort of where we're at now. Um, at first, you know, the first build we did together, it was sort of like buying parts and then sort of making them fit on an old bike that I had and then sending a, a seat out to be reupholstered in a color that I wanted. You know, like it was a lot of subcontracting work, but just me like making choices about the way it looks. Right. Um, and it's sort of, that was, that was sort of like the, the impetus. And then I found that the stuff that's available by a lot of times I don't like <laughs> and, or it doesn't fit the way I want it to, or the finish isn't the, what I want. So I was like, well, how can I make this the way I want it? Um, and then it just sort of dove off of there. Now I was actually just thinking about this last night that I really need to take like some more CAD classes. Like I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, I can mock everything up in like Photoshop and illustrator and things right. like that, you know, Adobe suite, but it's not scientific enough in order to get it made. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. The tolerances and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the times I'll, I've been using a friend of mine that does CAD stuff um, where I'll like, I'll design the part and then he'll translate it into like a CAD document and then we'll decide the best way to get it manufactured. So um, that's really, I think the, the words I was looking for would be custom fabrication, right? right? So you're yes. actually, you know, doing the fabrication of the, the parts, not just buying other aftermarket parts and sticking them on. Right. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, 
Yeah, it's it's really fun and it's taught again. We're back into the learning mode here. Um, you know, I think back to that first build with what you know compared to what we're doing now, and it's sort of like super primitive. Um, just because we are doing a lot more of the actual custom fabrication, we you know we have there's me and I'm sort of like directing, and then we have um, two. Well, one person that works part time as our fabricator, um, he's much better at welding than I am. And uh, he can use like lathes and mills, and we sort of like make the parts in house. And then we have an intern that's learning uh, welding and sort of how to do stuff. So I sort of like direct them a little bit. And this is what it should look like. Here's an example that I want. And this is the colors. These are the pieces kind of a thing. Um, just cause I would like to get more into the actual fabrication. Um, I mean, the, I've, the been, hand, I've been, I've been pushed on. back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just cause I have all the other stuff going on and right. then I have a 10 year old son that's home schooling right now. So this right, 2020 right. has been a hard year to get in there and actually do some of the fabrication myself. Right. Um, yeah, I hear you. So I, that actually leads to like my neck, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you. So like, you're obviously a small business. A lot of times you're, you're doing a lot of stuff. Like, what do you like pre 2020? What was your day like? And like, you know, how would things, how would things sort of change? Like, how have you had to adapt right. in the past year or so? Right. So part of my design work is I have a, regular gig basically uh, i do a lot of marketing and design for this one company in westfield okay um, but i do it so this is like pre-covid yeah i would work there three days a week on, in on site and then basically thursday friday saturday i would be at the shop so, um talking with clients managing subcontractors to make sure we get painting done and cause we don't do painting in house. And then, um, uh, a bunch of other different things. Um, the, the regular management of the business, uh, and then, you know, we have t-shirts and yeah, merch. I, I'm back I, in merch. <laughs> yeah. I noticed you have a, I mean, you have a quite of an, ex, an extensive merch page. Yeah. Yeah. I think that comes from, sorry, my wife's texting me. I'm trying to turn off the notifications. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I think we just sort of grew into like, oh yeah, um, I know how to do merch. So maybe we should have a lot of merch. Right. <laughs> kind of a, of a thing. Um, but it seems to, it seems to sell. People seem to like it, especially now that we've been around, you know, um, we started in, 2014 so i've been around for a bit now and we're starting to get a little bit of a yeah with i mean i would think break. like like if if you're turning out the quality of product that you are like i feel like you're gonna build a fan base so why not you know and, yeah. and also like let's not forget how genius the t-shirt is like i mean right. people are paying you so that they can advertise and market your business like right 
Well, it's just, it's very funny because I always think of it at the hardcore scene. It's like people are just looking for their tribe. Yep. You know? Um, so why not give them a tribe uniform, you know? Um, well, right. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I, I think you're, you're, you, you are, you're right. Exactly. Like you're, you're building a tribe basically. I mean, motorcycle, right. like people are into uh, motorcycles. That's one giant tribe, but it breaks down even more obviously into different types and different, right. you know? Right. Yeah. And we certainly, we're welcome. You know, I think one of the things that sort of sets Nova apart is that we really, really try to be friendly and, especially to beginners and you know there's definitely that world where like the tough and rumble macho sort of motorcycle world that we are absolutely trying to be the opposite of um right so like you said there's this huge motorcycle tribe and then there's the subdivisions just like there's like a huge hardcore scene and right just well, like I, the huge skateboard scene and all there's there's smaller subdivisions within i think uh, that's awesome because i like from an outsider's perspective which it sounds like you would relate like a you know not even that long ago like it you would understand the point of view of when you went to buy your first motorcycle it was probably pretty intimidating like i would be intimidated like, yeah like i don't absolutely. know what the hell i'm looking at like i don't know what you know like they could tell me anything almost right and you know, and I don't know if they're like laughing at me or, you know, right. no. And I've, I had the same experience too. Cause I didn't know what I was doing and I was buying an old bike from a dealership that, you know, I was asking questions and they was like, what, like, what are you talking about? So that's something that we definitely try to pay attention to. Um, we actually, it, we tried to, we haven't done it late. Uh, again but we did like this beginner's class we're just like come in and it's like there's no judgment it's just like we're going to talk about what motorcycles are like this is the front brake like this is the this is the right. shifter you know like and the class went over really well um we wanted to do it again but then of course covid happened so right. all those plans are sort of on hold um and the other thing that we do it's uh my partner, Sarah, he's really big into the uh, classic motorcycle racing. So they there's like leagues that go to like actual race courses and they they ride and they race different classes and and it's all vintage stuff that you can get into. But um, we're trying to get more people into that. Uh, because it's way, way safer to actually race on the race course than it is on the road. Um, right. And it's sort of like a really fun bonding experience because everyone's working together to get bikes on the track and make sure everyone's running. And um, it's, it's really fun. And, and I, we actually wrote that when we did a business plan and, you know, cause you kind of have to do that these days in order to even get banks to like pay attention to you. Um, we wrote a mission statement and basically the mission statement was to create a welcoming motorcycle society or community. Um, right. And that was the mission of the business. So 
what we do day to day is work on motorcycles, but um, really it's just a, a sort of a vehicle to bring, no pun intended, a vehicle to bring people together that love motorcycles, you know? Right. Oh, that's great. So you were starting to tell me, I think, I mean, how, I mean, we don't have to go too into it. I think everyone's a little tired of the COVID thing, but like, have you had to like kind of shift things a bit, like other than maybe working from home more or like, yeah. are there other, you know, I don't know, maybe you can tell me. You know? Yeah. Well, it hasn't changed. I mean, I just haven't been in the shop very much right. this year because my son is home doing virtual school. Now he's, he's in school two days a week now. And then obviously next week, the state mandates that they're all back. So next week's schedule is going to be different than yeah. this week's schedule. And, um, but I miss being at the shop and sort of doing stuff. Um, I get a chance to go there for a few hours at a time now, instead of like, you know, a solid eight hours, a couple days a week. Um, so it's a little bit harder. Like, like I was saying, like, I wish I could get more hands on, uh, on a lot of stuff. Cause that's what basically one of the big things that was what that drew me to this was that it was not on the computer. Yes. So, so much of my work <laughs> is based on the computer Yeah. that when you're changing fenders on a motorcycle, that it has nothing to do with the computer. Right. Um, right. I hear you. Um, now some of the, custom work we get back into the computer but it's like a totally different thing than be answering emails and um color correcting photos and things like that so um so i do miss that um the i'm hoping we go back you know now that school's back then maybe there's more time but the schedule is still weird so um right but we're kind of lucky because we were classified as essential transportation repair. Yeah. So the shop didn't really close ever. Um, it just got much slower. Um, basically, you know, shipments of everything that used to take, a, you know, three to five days now took two to three weeks. And, right. um, so basically our, our capacity to do work slowed a lot. So, okay. um, but other than that, we've been pretty lucky. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it, for graphic design stuff, it's, you know, Much. I can do that from anywhere basically. Right. 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 So it's, it's with Dropbox and all the modern stuff that we have now, it's pretty easy. Right. So, uh, I'm going to let you go here in a, in a couple minutes. I wanted to ask you like what lessons or what do you think the biggest lesson you learned from your years in Bain and just hardcore in general, like that you think you've used to apply to what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I think it's that just figure it out. Like I, I always joke cause it's like a fake it till you make it kind of a thing. Mm. Um, and I think that applies more to like the business side of it. Whereas the hardcore side is like, just keep going, like just keep playing, play your heart out, 
play every show you can get, you know, work hard, write, you know, write the best songs you can write and then just do it again. You know, um, now that, that seems like more of a, like a heart passionate project, but that, I think that is really a fake it till you make it sort of a, a mentality. Um, just don't stop, I think. Um, and that's sort of where we're going now is that the, we just keep pushing forward on what we're, what we're capable. And someone comes right. in and says, can you do this? And we're like, yeah, of course we can do that. And then they leave and we're like, how are we going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so just like, I mean, basically persistence, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's just like, yeah, I don't figure it out. Like if there's yeah. a will, there's a way. Yeah, no, no, I think that's yeah. great. Well, I think it's my confidence in my ability to solve the, the problem. immediate problem in front of me and then solve the next problem behind that and then right. the next problem behind that. I think, but that all stems from doing it when I was in Bain and then seeing that I... I could, okay, if we just think of how we're going to do this, solve the problem and then move to the next thing. Right. Um, it's, it's trained into you when you're, when you're, you know, driving in a van from show to show and yeah. the van yeah. breaks down or, or you have you no get, idea how you can put gas in the tank to get to the next show. Right. How do we, you know, do, do we, can I call my dad and he, can he wire me money or can he, yeah. Um, it's just a confidence in, in the ability to solve the problem in front of you That's and perfect. then confidence that you're going to solve the next one too. So, um, well, that's awesome. I, th I think that's a good, that's probably a good note to end on. Um, okay. but do you want it? Do you want to add? I mean, we can edit this part out, but do you want to add anything else in like as no, I think it was cool. Um, if we wanted to do, I don't know, do you do plugs or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's gonna, so what I was going to say is um, I'm going to do like, we'll do like a sign off. Don't hang up when I do the sign off. It's just, right. you know, I'll edit the shit out. But um, so I'll do like, you know, I'll ask you what you want to, where people can follow you or yeah, like what's the best place for people to follow what you're up to and then sure. thank you and say our like fake goodbye. And then we can, you know, just hold on for a second. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. We'll do that. All right. All right. Yeah, so I, I think that's a perfect place to end. What's a good place where people can follow what you're up to and just you know help support what you're doing? Sure. Um, so obviously, check out the Holding These Moments documentary uh, about Bain. That that will sort of fill in the blanks of what we didn't cover. Uh, and for if you want to check out Nova Motorcycles, we're based in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts, which is basically two hours west of Boston uh, near the Vermont, Massachusetts border. Um, it's a beautiful little town. Check it out. We're on Instagram at, at Nova Motorcycles, plural. Uh, and then we're on Facebook and Twitter and uh, the website's novamotorcycles.com. Uh, so you can check that out. And you can buy a T-shirt or a coffee mug or something like that. And, uh, yeah, if, if you have questions about motorcycles, just email me. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at Peter Chilton, C-H-I-L-T-O-N. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, love it. Thanks.
I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pete Chilton. If you want to continue to support us, what we really need is help in spreading the word. So if you could take a screenshot of the podcast or the docuseries Don't Stand in Line, post it up on your Instagram stories or in your feed and just tag us in it. You know, make sure you tag at Kodak Projects so we see it. And, you know, that would really help a lot. It helps just get the word out there. Also, don't forget, if you're looking for some quality screen printing, please check out Triumph Printing Company. You can find them at Instagram and Facebook at Triumph Printing Co. Or you can contact Matt directly at triumphprintingco at gmail.com. Don't sweat, don't.